so I would often get things like you'll need that walking stick when I'm done with you oh the perfect girl you can't run away or can't run away and things like that um but then equally you get sort of people who think they're saying the right thing and say things like oh you don't look disabled or oh you're far too pretty to be disabled and things like that Hello and welcome to Underestimated, the podcast where we unpick and unpack a moment in our lives where we have felt underestimated and ask if ultimately being underestimated has helped or hindered our success. Each week I am joined by a trailblazing guest who rebels in the face of the status quo. I'm your host, ex-model, current presenter and lifelong feminist, Jess Davis, and I've been underestimated my whole life but maybe I like it that way. My guest this week is Lucy Dawson, influencer, disabled model and encephalitis survivor who uses her social media platforms to raise awareness and visibility for people living with a disability. Lucy's life was turned upside down when in October 2016, just a month before her 21st birthday, she was taken into hospital with a serious illness which saw her be wrongfully sectioned at mental hospital. Lucy and I discussed the reality of using dating apps as a disabled woman, her fight for survival and her incredible rehabilitation. Lucy is just so inspiring and it was such a joy to sit down with her and hear her remarkable story. I hope you like this episode. This is Underestimated. Lucy Dawson, welcome to Underestimated. Thank you so much for having me. I am excited. Yes, thank you so much for sitting down with me. I've loved following you on social media, I think, since I found you through Dear Scantily, which is like the lingerie brand that we both kind of shoot for. And I just love all your posts, all your social media and how you use your platforms to raise visibility for disabled people but we'll get all stuck into that I'm sure yeah I actually that's the first time I saw you as well was in a Dear Scantily campaign I love all that stuff so much I know I know that helps us big boob girls out right and I'm loving all your recent posts about Halloween costumes you've got so many on there is that something that you usually celebrate Halloween as a holiday do you know what I kind of because I'm always trying to push out whatever content I can whenever I can I was like it's October so I'm going to do a Halloween costume every single day because what else have I got to do with my time <laughs> who doesn't look dressed up <laughs> every single day that's a big commitment how are you doing so far uh yeah I'm, I'm pretty good I have so many lined up I think I'm actually going to have more costumes than I have days in October so it's going to be Halloween in November as well <laughs> what's been your favorite costume because I do think you suit little Bo Peep uh, yeah well that's actually I'll do a little spoiler so obviously I did Little Bo Peep because I have all these walking sticks but for my 31st of October costume I am going to do drum roll please I'm going to do the female Riddler because obviously the Riddler has a gold cane I have a gold cane it's a question mark so I'm going to do the sexy female Riddler <laughs> oh I love it where'd you get all the inspiration from and more importantly where are you getting all the outfits from I bet you've been online shopping <laughs> well actually both people and the Riddler so many people all year round are like oh you remind me of this you better do this soon Halloween so I'm like well I will steal that idea and then anything else I'm just like that's sexy I'm gonna do it <laughs> 
Oh, I love it. And you have gone viral a few times on TikTok over the last few months, loving your TikTok profiles. And one of your videos that went viral was about dating, using dating apps as a disabled woman. So if that's something that you find difficult, is there a bit of a stigma or let's, you know, be frank, a lot of misogyny on these apps? Yeah, well, I was actually single for seven years. And through that seven years, I think four years, I was able-bodied. And then obviously the latter half, I was disabled. And misogyny runs throughout, (laughs) without a doubt. But the switch, uh, when I became disabled and started posting pictures with my mobility aid, the switch in the sort of fetishization that I was experiencing uh, became a lot more apparent. So I would often get things like, you'll need that walking stick when I'm done with you. Oh, the perfect girl, you can't run away, can't run away and things like that. Um, But then equally you get sort of people who think they're saying the right thing and say things like oh you don't look disabled or oh you're far too pretty to be disabled and things like that which are um there's a girl called lucy edwards who's blind and she's a big uh social media person and she calls them non-plumants and it's like it's a compliment but it's completely backhanded so it's a non-plumant yeah that is so true isn't it and that is just disgusting i'm so sorry that you received that and it, it just feeds into that culture of how toxic it can be to be a woman online, right? And especially then when you involve disabilities and trying to navigate that world, because I guess it is something that isn't really spoken about. Yeah, um, I mean, literally messaging someone and saying, you can't run away from me. Just say you're a predator. Just say you are literally have rapey vibes, because in what circumstances is that an okay thing to say? And, and that's, the scary thing is how confident people will say these things and not just on dating apps where it's a person versus a person but you mentioned my tiktok like the amount of times i get that comment on public accounts on tiktok and how open and brazen they are to say it because i'm disabled and they don't see me as like a person or something it's it really is shocking yeah that is awful and i remember seeing an article um on the bbc i think a few months ago that talked about how disabled women are experiencing a lot of kind of sexual remarks and in the street street harassment sexual street harassment is that something that you've experienced as well and does it make you feel unsafe when they say all these things yeah i think the um I, I won't try the figures because obviously I have a brain injury I'll get it all wrong but I think the p- percentage of victims of this kind of thing who are disabled women is very very high and it is it is scary to be out by yourself knowing that you are vulnerable um with your mobility like I am and I mean when when big press stories like Sarah Everard happened recently you do sit back and think what would I do in that position and what what could I do in that position as a disabled person? And it, it is very scary that um, it's, I think it's a big reason that a lot of disabled women don't go out by themselves. Um, also, when you get that kind of catcalling or something in the street, as any kind of woman, it does make you feel completely helpless. And without using my own diagnosis, it makes you feel paralysed. <laughs> can relate on a woman-to-woman basis of how that can feel so I can only imagine how it feels when when sometimes I guess it must feel like these men are preying on on your disability right when they're making comments like that or when they're being really leery so does that put you off dating does it make you change the way you react with men in real life yeah so as I said I was single for an extremely extremely long time um and I had the worst opinion of men whatsoever um and I think 
a lot of women do because unfortunately a lot of the experiences we have of men uh online and in person are really bad but i'm actually really lucky that the men who are in direct contact with me in my life my family and my sister's fiance and everything are absolutely brilliant men so that kind of helped me rebuild my uh trust in men my best friend is a is a man as well and he's great so i can as the men would say it's not all men but <laughs> it's enough of them no exactly i can totally relate as well because you know i've had negative experiences most of my experiences online um the ones that are negative are of from men so it is that thing of that you feel like you put this wall up, but of course it isn't fair because not all men are like that. That's what I've tried to explain to people that I've been dating when I when I have a strong opinion about uh, like a, a news story about men or something is how am I supposed to feel any different way about men when my day-to-day -day experience of men is comments on the internet and my DMs, the messages I receive from men and every single one, and we're talking hundreds a day, is disgusting. When you have a hundred horrible experiences with a man and one good experience with a man. There's no other way to weigh those things up in your mind. It, this, it, you're going to have a preconceived idea of what men are like that's going to be negative because you can only uh, sort of assess things by your own lived experience. And unfortunately, that is my lived experience for the most part. Mm, I can totally, totally relate to that. And that's it, isn't it? It's like, of course, we know not all men are awful. But when you go through them things and you're confronted with that every single day, it's like, of course, you have... Um, a layer that you put up and a wall that you put up just to protect ourselves right so it's like I'm not going to give you the benefit of the doubt to stroke your ego I'm actually just going to protect myself and then hope you can prove me wrong I don't know if you've had this as well but if you ever express th these kind of things online uh, you often find that men will respond to you saying it's your fault because you only go for men who look like this you only go for bad boy. and it's just not even remotely true it's the first you only go for really amazing looking men well they're not the men who are sending me disgusting messages in my inbox and I didn't go for them at all like and they're not the best looking men in the world so or the friendliest or anything like that the most intelligent so it just doesn't doesn't quite add up <laughs> definitely it reeks of victim blaming and it is that thing of if we keep like blaming women and saying well it's because you go for xyz and all of that instead of just looking at the core of the problem right and trying to address the huge issue of misogyny that we have going on and speaking of that you know i've been looking on your tiktoks and your instagram and you like me are a well-endowed breasted woman hashtag blessed and you know i've seen that you post on your tiktok videos responding to some comments where it's a bit like we well, don't always have to have your boobs out all the time type thing which is just really misogynistic and also like that's your body why should you cover up and again it's that victim blaming right how does that make you feel when you see comments like that so the way i see it is that since i was extremely extremely young people have sexualized the way that i look and made my life a hell for the way that I look, especially online. Um, you know all the forms, you know all this stuff, you know how it happens. Um, and now I am a grown adult in full control of my body who has been through a hell of a lot with my body. If I wanna do whatever I wanna do with my body, and also, by the way, tits get clicks, clicks raises awareness, I will do it. <laughs> Love that, yes, that's so true. It's the exact same guys who are like watching your videos all the time, subscribing to you, following you, that then has something to say. Thank you for the engagement. 
Now, Lucy, this podcast is all about being underestimated and your story is amazing, inspiring, harrowing and it is the story of, in 2016, that you were hospitalised with a brain disease which saw you be sectioned for how long? Three weeks? Three months. Three months? Oh my gosh. So can you elaborate a bit on that and and take me back to how that began and, and what your story is? Yeah, so I was, as you say, I was 20 in 2016 and I was in the second week of my third and final year at university. Uh, up to that point, I had been the most average person in the world. I had never had any physical health problems, never had any mental health problems. Um, in the second week of uni, my entire personality changed. Now, it's all a blur to me and not much of it. I remember I do have flashbacks, so a lot of my account is through uh, the words of my friends who I lived with and my family. So my behavior completely changed. I was locking myself in my bedroom, wouldn't eat, was crying all the time. I had these horrendous, horrendous migraines that were making me sick, but I was like, oh, I'm not drinking enough water. I just didn't sleep very well. I'm stressed with uni, all these kind of things. But I was complaining to my housemate really bizarre things that I'd never cared about before like I'm fat I'm ugly I don't have a boyfriend I'm gonna fail uni nobody likes me all these things that just weren't very me um one morning she woke up to me screaming her name Bex 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 over and over again um and she came in my room I was just an absolute mess she called my parents and they said uh, get her an ambulance like just to be safe so I went to hospital that morning and they looked at me, sent me home with some breathing exercises and said she's had a panic attack. Now the next morning, the same thing happened again, but a million times worse. And when Vex came into my room at about six in the morning, I'd ripped it completely to pieces. And I was sat in the middle of the floor, just rocking backwards and forwards with my eyes, like bulging out of my head. So she rang my parents again. And this time they drove from Lincolnshire to Leicester. Um, took one look at me and were like what is happening they their immediate reaction was like girls has she taken something or is there ch any chance she's been spiked my friends were like we haven't touched any of this stuff ever and we haven't even been out recently for her to have been spiked so and uh, that was six in the morning we drove all day I tried to escape out of the car whilst it was moving no hospital would take me in because I was a uni student it was a wrong postcode it was a wrong place all this kind of thing so by half five that evening, um, a hospital took me, a hospital local to where I am now, and they took one look at me, said to my pe parents, she's really not very well, and they sectioned me under the Mental Health Act and said that I'd had a mental breakdown. And so that's what happened. I was sectioned for three months in a psychiatric ward um, and treated for this uh, mental breakdown. Now the plot twist, of course, is that there was no mental breakdown, there was no mental illness whatsoever. What I actually had was a rare brain disease called anti-NDMA receptor autoimmune encephalitis, which is an inflammation of the brain. Basically, your immune system attacks itself, thinking that it's helping you, but really it's killing you. Um, it stops all your autonomic functions like breathing, swallowing, just everything. But it starts off that you get like super, super high, um, like manic kind of behavior like I would just be screaming the same words over and over again like people had to restrain me and I was like really rude to staff and all things like that and then it dropped off 
the peak dropped off and I became catatonic. So when you're catatonic, you're in rigid, rigid stupor. So you can't feel your own body. If someone lifted your arm up like that, you just stay like that. You have no control over yourself. So it got to my 21st birthday, um, which is towards the end of November. And the doctor said to my mom and dad, look, she is dying. And we don't know why, because people don't just randomly die of a mental breakdown. So as a last ditch attempt, we're going to give her electroconvulsive therapy, which is ECT. ECT triggers seizures in the brain. It's not really used so much these days. If it is, it's used really, really controlled ways for like severe cases of depression. It's something that was a lot more prehistorically used. Um, so I had three rounds of this on my 21st birthday and it did trigger seizures in my brain. It's not a treatment for encephalitis, but the miracle part is that by triggering these seizures in my brain, it reset my brain, which started the healing process from the brain disease. And it would be great <laughs> if that was the end of the story, but this is me. So it wasn't the end of the story. So I was having these seizures. They put me back on my hospital ward bed, uh, completely unattended. Uh, there were no sides upon the bed. There were four pillows underneath my head and I had an almighty seizure and fell out of the hospital bed. And next to the hospital bed was an open radiator pipe with no cajun on it. As I said, my birthday at the end of November. So this radiator pipe was as hot as it was ever going to be. And throwback again, I was catatonic. I couldn't feel my body. So I just laid on the pipe, burning away. And really, really long story short, that ultimately burned all the way through my sciatic nerve, which permanently paralyzed the bottom of my leg. The hospital didn't tell us that. They uh, kept saying that, oh, that her leg just hasn't woken up yet. It's because eventually they did diagnose me as having had a brain disease. So it's just the brain disease, blah, blah, blah. Um, so when I came out of hospital, I didn't know who my parents were. I couldn't talk, I couldn't walk. Obviously, with that, I couldn't read, write anything that we take for granted. Like, imagine waking up tomorrow and you look at your box of makeup that you've used every day for years since you're a teenager and you've just got not a clue what any of it is. Just every day something was was reintroduced to me that I used to always know and I just had no idea about. So I really thought that that was it for me uh, I couldn't string a sentence together I was back in my parents spare bedroom where I'd grown up as a child I was asleep for 20 plus hours every day um, and obviously I also had this new physical disability and for years I didn't actually know if it would ever be better I didn't know what exactly it was I was pushed between hospitals backwards and forwards trying all these different treatments that oh no this one will definitely work you just need to go here this one will work and every time get in there oh no this won't work for you until eventually I found out that it was permanent and what actually happened and alongside that every day I was having to try and relearn some kind of language and speech actually something that's really nice is that my my grandparents had to look after me every day because my parents are taking so much time off work um visiting me in hospital and my grandpa uh he's in his 80s uh he was a teacher when he was younger and he knew he'd heard that your musical memory comes back or stays before anything else similar to people who have dementia and my favorite uh artist 
before I was poorly was Elvis Presley. So my grandpa ordered every single Elvis Presley songbook he could find and learned to play all the songs on his keyboard with a microphone next to it for me in the hopes that I would start singing along. And I did start singing along. And that's how like my speech, my speech pattern and everything language actually started coming back to me. And uh, again, super, super long story short, after about two and a bit years, I had some sort of Lucy back and I was able to actually return to university. Um, as I said, I was in my second week of my third year. I thought that was it. I thought you're, you've wasted money, you've wasted time. You're never going to graduate. But I went back, I graduated with the same mark as I was getting before my brain disease, another miracle. And um, yeah, alongside that, I had started blogging about my experience. That was a way to sort of find other people who'd been through encephalitis, um, family members, survivors and everything. And through that, I built up a little bit of a social media platform. And through that, I started getting these opportunities to work with brands and everything and ultimately managed to sign as a disabled model. And since then, I've been able to work, like we started off talking about Scantley, work with some of my all-time favorite brands and just actually find some way of living again uh which which i can actually do um pretty much at home as i struggle to do any normal kind of job and i'm self-employed i work for myself my own hours and it's all just been sort of an unbelievable miracle um and i this is what i when people say like what advice would you give anyone who's going through anything hard and it's the most predictable thing you could possibly say but it's that it genuinely does get better and there really is a light at the end of the tunnel and it, that can be so patronizing coming from anyone but when I say it and when I say it I picture myself laid in my parents spare room crying wishing that I had never woken up wishing my life away and I just think if I could really look her in the eyes now and tell her it will get better, I promise. It would save me a lot of pain and grief, I think. Oh my gosh, that is just what a story and what an experience you've been through. And to see how far you've come now, we'll get all into your modelling endeavours as well in a bit. But I can imagine, you know, going back to that time and just the unknown, not knowing what was wrong with you. And it must have been terrifying for you, terrifying for your friends, your family, your housemates. And you've touched on, you know, the, the thought of being underestimated by medical professions who thought that as a woman, you were just being a bit hysterical and you actually were going through a mental breakdown when in fact you had this rare brain disease. So how long did it take for the medical professionals to actually find out exactly what was wrong with you? And, and in between that time, what was your experience like being sectioned? They should have done a blood test on the day that I went into hospital, which would have shown the antibodies and shown that I had encephalitis. Um, instead of that, it, like I was sectioned for three months and somewhere towards the end of those three months, they must have done this blood test and found out. Um, I was discharged in towards the end of December and then the following January is when we first heard the words encephalitis. Uh, was when we first got the diagnosis and after hearing those words it was basically we went home and then it was up to us to kind of research and work out what that actually meant you know there was no 
no help, no aftercare, no nothing like that. And in the psychiatric ward itself, so I have the most bizarre memories of it uh, because a lot of my memories at that time were actually hallucinations. So I'm in this strange place where I don't actually know what was real and don't know what wasn't. And some of it, I was sort of in like a comatose kind of state. But the bits that I do remember, and I don't even really talk about it much because being the only non-mentally ill person in a ward of mentally ill people, you see a lot of things that are very scary. I was very young at the time as well. I was the youngest in there. Um, obviously, I was given all the antipsychotic drugs and everything um, for this. And I don't know what effect that had on me as obviously I didn't need them. Um, the treatment wasn't good. I had constantly UTIs whilst I was in there because they weren't changing my catheter properly. Just And obviously um, UTIs can make people act more uh, mentally unwell than they are. It can change your behavior themselves. So the whole thing was just really horrific. Um, so scary I was constantly trying to escape Const I can constantly remember just running down these corridors trying to get to the exit and everything and begging begging please let me go but the problem is um, it's it's like um, not self-fulfilling prophecy but it's like one no once you're labeled with a mental illness anything that you do after that is part of the mental illness if you say I am not mentally ill that makes you look more mentally ill. If you say, I have to get me out of here, they will say, she's not well, she's mentally ill. So that there really is not much that you can do when you're in the position that I was in. And obviously, I mean, recently someone uh, replied to one of my tweets saying, why on earth would your parents let you be sectioned for three months? And I just, because how were they to know anything than, other than to trust doctors? My dad's a farmer, my mom, uh, just filing and admin and everything. How would she know anything other than to follow doctor's instructions and trust a doctor? And I'd never heard of encephalitis before it happened to me. Why would they have heard of it? The doctors clearly didn't know really what it was. So why would they know? Yeah, definitely. And I think we do put all our all our trust really in the medical professions because what do we know? And we expect them them to look out for us and have the best care. And I think there is a lot of conversation in the media recently um, with you know Britney Spears talking a lot about her conservatorship around the pathologies pathologizing still a new word i'm trying to learn but basically um how women like you say are diagnosed as being mentally ill but as soon as you're diagnosed it's kind of in the system then you're part of it and then everything that you do when you try and speak out just makes you look more in brackets crazy as much of a word really interesting so i learned a couple of years after i came out of hospital um about all these gendered implications um and the misogyny in uh, medicine and that people have written um articles now reports about how they think now the women who were um told were crazy um in the salem witch trials and were witches were showing symptoms hysteria that could have easily been a disease like encephalitis and obviously things that happened to them horrendous and now today women are still being treated in, like in a misogynistic way and it, it's actually so scary <laughs> 
definitely because it isn't just um, our mental health, it's also our physical health as well, right? So a lot of women are going to doctors and talking about, for example, personal problems they might be having with periods and all of that stuff. And then they're just being sent home, told that they're exaggerating, not being taken seriously. So it's definitely, definitely an issue that needs to be spoken about more and confronted more, which is the misogyny and medicine. I always say to people that when they're being really harsh on their body is something that I think when I relate back to myself is I could sit and pick my body apart for hours but equally did this body not save my life when doctors couldn't did every cell in this body not work to keep me alive and is that not way more important than looking a certain way and I think something that really really helps and some advice that I would give is for everyone to diversify their social media feeds. Stop looking at what society keeps pushing you as how you should look. Stop. If there's a brand who only posts a person who looks one way, unfollow. They are not for you. They don't support you, um, especially if you're in the disabled community. If you never see a brand interact with disabled customers or use disabled models, they don't deserve your money. And you'll feel so much happier if you follow people who you relate to, who you see yourself in, or who are just good people. Um, my, I mainly follow women and majority of my, the women that I follow, if not all the women, they have some sort of deep story. No matter how beautiful they are, they also have something way more than that. And they spread a good message. And I don't have to worry that I'm going to open my social media feed and feel awful about myself because when I look back at it, I see people who are spreading positivity and that, that makes social media less of a scary place. Yeah, it's about kind of curating our own feed and, and really being picky about exactly what it is that we want to see. And if them certain people make you feel shit about yourself, then just don't follow them. Certain brands make you feel crappy because they don't hold your size or whatever it may be. They don't represent you in their campaigns. Unfollow them. Like you said, they don't deserve your money. And it's realising that the power lies within us and not other people or brands or what it may be. The power is with us as a customer, as a consumer, as a creator. And we can curate our own social media and that is how we can move forward and make it a bit of a just a better place to be on and make it work for us which is what you have done for yourself in now becoming you know an influence you got so many followers you got over 200,000 on TikTok you've gone viral millions of views loving it and you're also a disabled model which is amazing so how does it feel to look back at where you were in 2016, feeling like you almost didn't even want to wake up, come out of it, and now look at where you are now? Because you have also mentioned that you've not only been underestimated by other people, but you've almost underestimated yourself at the recovery and thinking what your body could do and, and whether you could get out of your parents' spare room. Yeah, I genuinely thought that that was it for me. I can remember seeing, I watched everyone who I'd been at university with graduate on the Facebook live feed. And I remember being sat on my old bed, just crying and thinking, this is it for me. I am in here forever. And that was not, however many years ago that was now. I almost feel completely unattached from that person now because so much has changed. And when I tell the story, it's, it's like it didn't happen to me because so much has changed. But if I have like a quiet moment with myself and I really think, oh my God, that happened to you. Like you'll have these weird moments. Uh, like recently I was laid in bed and I just thought, wait, 
my brain had a disease like what does that how and what does that actually mean and how am I okay it's it's extraordinary what what I have overcome and how far I've come and you know I kind of feel like one day I'll wake up from all of this and either I'll be back in my parents room or just none of it will have happened because my life now is just nothing I could ever have imagined and I'm so grateful that I had this second chance at life like none of that should have happened to me but here I am <laughs> yeah and just I guess moving forward and and like accepting that we can't change the past right but you have used your experience and used it to raise awareness and just find a new lease of life I guess and a new direction in life and working with all these brands and working as a model now do you feel like the fashion industry can do so much more when it comes to representing disabled people in their campaigns because we're still not seeing it on a widespread um, scale right in the mainstream it is still distinctively lacking when it comes to disabled people even though there's a huge campaign around body positivity and having a variety of bodies which is more body size right but we're actually not seeing a lot of disabled people in campaigns yeah definitely there's definitely advances I mean I went to my local Primark yesterday and it's so strange because I actually know the people personally because they're with the same agency as me but I see so in the same shop one girl who has Down syndrome, one girl who's in a wheelchair and one girl who has vitiligo. And I was so happy and I spent so much money there because I was just like, yes. But, but equally, uh, in most cases, disability is left out of the diversity equation for some reason. And when it is included, something that I think is really important to acknowledge is that sometimes it's included in the most easy way possible in the brands will book one white cis slim uh disabled person who has like a, a disability that isn't really uh uncommonly known or seen like some someone like me who, who has a stick and um they'll leave out uh different races different intersections of disability and you'll see disability only in one way and i think it's so important that brands do more i think if you think you're inclusive enough, try again. Get disabled people of different sizes, different genders, different races, uh, different, where am I up to? <laughs> different sexualities, just different ages. There needs to be all the intersections of disability represented. It's not enough to just hire one disabled model and think that you're done because we are the largest minority in the world. You know, everyone will be affected by disability at some point. The, the disabled people it's purple tuesday uh on the 2nd of november i think and purple tuesday acknowledges the gigantic amount of money that disabled people put into the economy every year it's called the purple pound and i think brands businesses companies owe it to do more for accessibility and representation to acknowledge this huge amount of money that disabled people put into the economy and equally we as disabled people need to take note of who acknowledges purple tuesday who acknowledges us and take our purple pound elsewhere if they won't <laughs> yeah absolutely and it is just about 
making a significant change in a commitment and not just having, you know, the token disabled person, the token black person, the token different gender, because it is something that should reflect our whole society. And having one person in your campaign doesn't reflect the society and doesn't reflect your brand ethos if you are really committed to change, right? So we're slowly, slowly seeing things change, but not enough. Another thing as well that I know isn't just... uh disabled people but other minorities will be that brands will step forward when it's like a particular time of year I mean disability pride month barely got any coverage whatsoever but if I was to use that as an example and post disabled people just throughout that month or once that month but not have paid them for the work or anything like that but then the brands in the car and I can think of some gigantic brands who have the biggest budgets who will do this and their comments will be full of praise and accolades for them being so inclusive and great and we're we disabled people are sat behind the screen like absolute crickets like well where was the money for that though you know like (laughs) thanks for the tag thanks for the exposure but what about the payment for the work and I think something that is discussed I mean influencers talk different communities talk something that is becoming more apparent now is that people are turning down these gifting collabs and things like that because it really is just you're giving these companies who have the budget (laughs) free marketing and especially as my cat's just walked in uh especially as a disabled person um for who content sometimes takes longer to create takes more energy can be more difficult you shouldn't be working for free. No other job would a person work for free or work for expert. Am I going to pay my bills and exposure this month? <laughs> I have a group chat with four of my closest disabled friends. And we were talking about all this Halloween content we've been making and how absolutely exhausting it is doing setting up the lights, doing the, fo- doing the photo, picking them afterwards, doing the makeup, finding the costume. So it's tiring it's not as easy as people think and also getting people to care about what you're posting is not easy whatsoever and I think if anyone had a job in um social media marketing or something for a brand or something they would soon realize that it's not that easy to get people to care about what you say (laughs) I know that's it I think people think just because you've got followers like loads of people are gonna donate to your cause or loads of people are gonna sign up to your page and all of that but it's not it's a slog and it's a constant everyday thing of churning out the content and persevering so it definitely takes energy so yeah I say if you want us to work you've got to pay us (laughs) leading on from that as a model, who would be your dream collaboration, your dream job to book? I think for how they've sort of led the way with inclusivity from day one, it would have to be Savage Fenty. And I think a lot of disabled uh, men and women say the same sort of thing. Like um, they really, without being told to, without being forced to, Rihanna, I mean, straight away she had uh, lyric mariah who has uh, a, a prosthetic leg in the first campaign this time she had uh, someone from my agency who has a, a prosthetic arm like without being told you should do this and then obviously um the inclusivity through all different minorities in uh, the savage runways and everything is just incredible and i mean they've blown another well-known uh underwear store who used to be quite popular out the water because i believe that that underwear store once said that 
trans people and plus size people weren't part of their fantasy well <laughs> we found a new fantasy yeah the fantasy is over sorry <laughs> i love savage fantasy i love everything that Rihanna's done and it's so refreshing to see that diversity being represented across all minorities in fashion because that is what it should be so much more exciting yeah it is i think that's something that when these brands i mean i've been told by someone who works in one of the big uh lingerie brands who's also one of my friends that uh whenever they put me forward for something uh because i'm disabled the people in charge say oh no too risky what's risky what's risky like go look at any page when they've posted a disabled person look at how the engagement shoots up look how great the comments are look how much people love to see it and tell me that it's too risky <laughs> risky what does that even mean that's just awful and it just goes to show how far we still have to go in representation within the media within fashion and i just hope that people continue to follow people like you and see that you know it isn't risky it's sexy we need to see more of that so lucy i could talk to you forever i've just find your story so so interesting and inspiring but we haven't got forever so i have to wrap it up with a question that i ask all of my guests do you think being underestimated has ultimately helped or hindered your success i think that being underestimated it sort of puts a bit more of a drive in you so once you've proved someone or yourself wrong once you like I can do this again and I can keep doing this so where at first being underestimated uh at the start of my journey was a huge hindrance I think you can always somehow turn that round and use it to your advantage um you have to make the best out of every situation that life gives you nothing in life is promised tomorrow is not promised everything is unpredictable i promise i didn't think any of this was going to happen to me but you're ultimately in control of what you do with the the cards that you've been dealt and um yeah today being underestimated has actually led me to where I am now and I am pretty happy with where I am now <laughs> amazing well thank you so much for chatting with me and being so open and honest and sharing your story I can't wait to keep following keep following all your costumes from uh, October and beyond that's going to keep going throughout November and if my listeners want to find you on social media where can they head to yeah so I have stupid names sorry my Instagram is Ludor that's L-U-U-U-D-A-W and my Twitter and my TikTok are both Ludor in the sky. <laughs> Amazing well Lucy thank you so much for chatting with me and I'll be keeping up with your endeavours on TikTok and Instagram and beyond and hopefully on Savage Fenty fingers crossed fingers crossed. Thank you so much. Wow what a total babe of a woman and what a remarkable remarkable story of perseverance and faith if you're not ready for that podcast episode to be over then head on over to my patreon account at patreon.com slash davis where you can access the full extended episode to hear more of lucy's incredible story Lucy is a huge inspiration for so many and I just love her mission to bring sexy back one Halloween costume at a time. As always, if you have enjoyed this podcast, please rate, subscribe and leave a review on your favourite podcasting platform to help others find us. Until then, don't let anyone underestimate you. <laughs>